For Tuesday, November 24th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Molly Samuel, and for Sam Whitehead. Today, chronic stress can cause not only anxiety and depression, but also obesity and hypertension. And more than eight months into the pandemic, plus the contentious election, a lot of people here are experiencing long-term stress. I can't think of a time when there have been this level, this severity, this number of stressors that everybody in the United States are experiencing all at the same time. Dr. Vale Wright from the American Psychological Association joins me to talk about the effects of the pandemic on mental health and some suggestions on ways to cope as we head into the holidays and the winter. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's rough out there. Even if you've managed to hold on to a job, keep food on the table, stay healthy, keep the kids learning, and not get too overwhelmed by politics, this is an incredibly stressful time. And for many people, those things haven't all fallen into place. We are a stressed-out nation, and chronic stress, as so many people are experiencing, can have long-term effects, even once the pandemic is over. Dr. Vale Wright is Senior Director for Healthcare Innovation at the American Psychological Association. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So here in the U.S., we're now eight plus months into dealing with the pandemic. What kinds of effects are you starting to see or have you been seeing on people's mental health as this drags on? Yeah, we've really seen that the pandemic is taking a huge toll on individuals' mental health. And it's really been corroborated by a bunch of different studies, studies out of the CDC, which has suggested that people are reporting increases in depression, anxiety, substance use, as well as suicidal ideation, as well as uh, APA studies, which have recently shown that even after the election, stress still hasn't gone down, that people are continually stressed about what's happening to the country, the political climate, obviously the pandemic. And again, it's just taking a toll, I think, on people's emotional well-being. Right. So it's not even just the pandemic. It's just been that this has been an incredibly stressful year with the election. It's just been a lot for people to handle. Yeah. Our 2020 survey suggested that 60 percent of adults said that it's the culmination of the stressors that's making them feel overwhelmed. So it isn't just one thing. And while the pandemic obviously has disproportionately affected some people more than others, nobody is immune to the number of stressors and the chronic level of stress that I think the country is under right now. Have you ever seen anything 
like this? I know that the word unprecedented gets thrown around a lot, but it truly is the most unparalleled, unprecedented time in most of our adult lives. Yes, the country has gone through things in the past, and yes, of course, we all have our own individual adversities that we have to overcome, but I can't think of a time when there have been this level, this severity, this number of stressors that everybody in the United States are experiencing all at the same time. And what does that mean for us? I mean, what does that mean for us as a country and as a society? Well, I mean, I think it's really laid bare the ways in which um, the things that affect us as a nation aren't just individual level events, that they're really systemic events and they need systemic solutions. You can't just expect everybody to wash their hands and the pandemic's going to go away. We really need leadership. We need resources. We need science-based guidance at a population health level to really overcome the things that are uh, affecting us right now. And just what are the effects of long-term stress like this? Yeah. So, you know, everybody experiences acute stressors from here, here and there, and then ideally they go away once the stress is done. But what we're seeing now is the effects of chronic stress. So when we don't get that relief, and it has pretty significant physical and emotional health consequences. And at the long term, that can look like obesity, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and of course, like we mentioned, anxiety and depression. So these are things that don't necessarily end when the pandemic ends. No, they probably won't. I, I, I We fear that there could be some pretty long-lasting mental health effects, not just because of the stressors related to the pandemic, whether it's the isolation we've experienced, the grief and loss around having to change holidays or milestones that we've missed, but also we're seeing some pretty significant um, mental health consequences for those who have experienced the coronavirus. And that can include, again, things like anxiety and depression, but we're also seeing some pretty significant cognitive disruptions as a result of the virus. So I don't think this is going away for a while. Right. I mean, and that's a good point. It's one thing to be somebody like me. I'm relatively safe in my house. I, you know, I don't get out all that much. It's a totally different thing for people who have gotten sick, who, who have lost family members, who are really struggling in a whole other level. Yeah, I, I, we're getting close to the point where I don't think anybody will be able to say they don't know somebody who's had the virus or that they haven't experienced some significant loss due to it. Um, and that's the majority of the public. And then, of course, that isn't even talking about essential workers or frontline workers who are putting themselves at risk every day, not just themselves, but their families, um, to, in order to do the jobs that we need them to do so that a lot of us can stay safe. It's, it's just a massive toll right now. Yeah. And we're also hearing about this phenomenon of pandemic fatigue. What is that? Can you kind of describe how that's playing out? Yeah, I think, you know, at the beginning of the virus in the spring, there was a hard pivot to trying to figure out how to just live? How do I start to work from home if I'm lucky enough to do so? How do I e-learn my kids? How do I even get groceries? And a lot of that behavior was driven by fear. And there's nothing wrong with fear. Fear is a, it's a, a survival technique that help us keep going, but we can't maintain that level of fear over the last eight months. And so instead it gets replaced with fatigue, where we're just exhausted. And the problem with fatigue, of course, is it, just like fear, can drive our behaviors. And if we're fatigued, we might get complacent. We might stop caring so much. And it's hard to overcome those impulses to want to do the things we want to do, as opposed to the things that we're being told we should do. And I imagine it's also things that, I mean, in, in sort of this setting of this incredibly stressful setting, there are things that like would maybe typically make people feel better, again, connecting with family and friends, going to a movie, travel. Um, and, and those things aren't accessible to us right now. 
So I think, you know, at the beginning of this in the spring, none of us expected this to go as long as it did. I think we all thought that by the holidays, we would all be back together and things would be quote unquote back to normal. Obviously, that's not the case. And if anything, things are getting much worse across the majority of the country. Um, and so that's just added another level of grief that I think people have had to experience. And and I think that grief is is totally justified right now. And we also need to find ways to approach this upcoming season as an opportunity, as a way to figure out how do we create new meaning? How do we create connection even when we're physically distanced? Which isn't easy to do, but I think, you know, is possible for sure. We're talking with Vale Wright with the American Psychological Association. So tell me, you know, do you have recommendations for people who are having a hard time right now? What, you know, especially heading into the holidays and into the winter? Yeah, a couple of different things. One is I think we all need to just sort of slow down and take a breath and take a break and really ask ourselves, now that we know that this is what it's going to be for a while, what are the things that are most important? What are the things that I value the most? What are the things I can let go of and start putting up some boundaries? And then it starts to be about planning. So how can I maximize my sunlight, for example? Can I start new routines where I take my coffee by the east-facing window in the morning to really maximize that sunlight? Can I work with my supervisor at work to take breaks in the middle of the day so that I can get outside when the sun is actually happening? How can I think about, again, the upcoming months and really plan for how how to manage them, how to cope the best that I can. And then ideally model that for our kids as well, because they really also need help on figuring out how do I live when this is our reality. Do you have things that you personally have started doing or are hoping to try? Yeah, so um, my office uh, window faces the east in the morning, so I get to kind of maximize that sunlight. And what I've started to do is then take my laptop to the other side of my house in the afternoons to really sort of maximize that. And I've started blocking out a period of my schedule in the middle of the day to take a walk. Um, so I'm trying to really practice what I preach. What I'm always telling people to do, I'm trying to do as well. Because, you know, I think that while the cold is not very pleasant, we're all just going to have to deal if we're living, you know, in places like I am, which is Chicago, and just bundle up and really try to get outside and to not find myself just isolating and not leaving my house. I know it's not healthy. It's easier to do than it is to sort of venture out in the cold, but I found a cool podcast to listen to, and that's sort of the process that I'm taking right now. Yeah, yeah, so just not sort of like curling up in a ball and giving up on (laughs) the season, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hibernating is normal. It's a normal thing to do during the winter, and we also need to be getting out. So it's about finding that balance. And I imagine, I mean, there's also sort of this balance right now of physical health versus mental health, or maybe pitting them against each other isn't quite a fair way to think about it. But how do you think about that? You know, there are things that would make me happy, but they might put me at greater risk of getting COVID. You know, how do you recommend people navigate those choices? Yeah, I think one of the things about this situation that I have found so fascinating is the ways in which I think our nation has had to face these both and arguments, right? That it is critically important that we protect our physical health by following the public health recommendations. And we also need to be doing things that maximize our mental health. And we know that things like isolation and lack of social connection are are, uh, tragically, dramatically terrible for us. So we need to continue to find ways to do both things at once. And that means sometimes getting creative. Yes, using technology can be helpful, but I think our language matters too. We need to stop thinking about it as social distancing, but as physical distancing while maintaining social connection. I know it's a language thing, but it actually really does matter in terms of how we think about how to plan for protecting both our physical health and our mental health at the same time. And are there things that you would like to see 
state or federal officials doing, communicating about this or taking actions on? Yeah, absolutely. I I think there's been some real missed opportunities to have these conversations about how we protect both our physical and our mental health. There just isn't a mental health equivalent to the Dr. Fauci's out there. And I really wish there were. I wish there was somebody, you know, on these coronavirus task forces really focused on mental health and, and talking about why it's as important as it is. Because when we pit the two against each other and sort of prioritize one over the other, we're continuing to just short shrift ourselves when we do that. It doesn't have to be an either or thing. It can be a both and. But we need the right people at the table to explain that so that those messages can get out there. Right. I mean, just like exactly kind of what we're talking about right now, just how people navigate, how people cope. It would be helpful to have those kinds of communications coming from officials, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And we know from the research that leadership plays a critically important role in mitigating stress related to large-scale diseases like this one from, from previous pandemics like SARS or Ebola. When leaders provide clear, consistent, science-based information, we know it reduces people's psychological distress. So, you know, we don't want to undersell the important role leaders can play as well as, again, resources. People need resources in order to not just deal with the pandemic, but to manage their emotional distress. Yeah. It, it adds to the stress to be getting different mixed messages or confusing messages. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, part of what's been so challenging about this pandemic, uh, of course, has been the level of uncertainty and the ways in which messaging has changed since the beginning. And and while science does change and evolves and, and that's to be expected, when you hear conflicting messages that's problematic because then people try to seek out information from a variety of different sources that may or may not be uh, reputable. In particular, social media. Um, we seek out that social consensus from the people who often believe like we believe, and it may not be science-backed. Or we see leaders say one thing, but then they do something else. These types of mixed messages just have really detrimental effects. You mentioned before that this chronic stress, that we may see these effects years down the line, really. What does that look like? I mean, are we basically, you know, this is a traumatized generation or am I overblowing things by saying that? Um, I think it's it's a little too soon to tell. I, I do think that as a nation, we are experiencing a collective trauma, but we've also overcome traumas in the past. People are really resilient and adversity can make us stronger. So I don't think it's inevitable that we'll be a generation who is just destined to to be sad and, and anxious for the rest of our lives. I, I do think we can be resilient, but we also need, like we've talked about, a much more robust public health approach to thinking about our mental health. So that includes, obviously, at one extreme, treatment interventions, including talk therapy for those who are experiencing anxiety, depression, substance use, all the rest. But it also looks like preventative measures within our schools, within our places of worship, within our workplaces where we spend so much of our time that really addresses how do we maintain our psychological well-being. So I think it's, it's, it's a much more robust approach to how we think about mental health than we've ever had in the past. Dr. Vale Wright is Senior Director for Healthcare Innovation at the American Psychological Association. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Molly Samuel, in for Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.
you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.